If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood. We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past. Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are. We're really glad you're here and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in. Chronic trauma can overwhelm our internal coping resources. Trauma disrupts the same system that regulates our body's stress response, causing a hyperactive fight or flight reaction. It's not just all in our head. It's in our bodies too. Brittany Moses. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. Today, Esther and I are going to have an open discussion about our own personal religious trauma and mental health struggles and how we're learning to cope with and heal from the toxic religious dogma that we grew up with. So we hope that you guys can tune in with us and lean into this vulnerable time with us while we just share our own personal experiences. Yeah. And like, we're not experts or anything, but we do feel really strongly about sharing our voices and saying them out loud, mostly for our own sakes to validate them, but then also for your sake, because we know that this is a really tricky subject that we're going to walk into. And it's weird to end our podcast season like this, but we did really want to chat with you guys about what's happened inside of us over time and where we are today and how we're fighting to continue to heal from all of it. So I'm sure it's a subject everybody can relate to. So Liz, can you tell me a little bit about where you are right now in your mental health and what you've learned recently about why you are where you are and how much of it do you think might've stemmed from your past beliefs about God? Mm, What a fun question. (laughs) <laughs> just to just to nail it right away go yeah. deep we're just diving we're like we're like jumping off the deep we're jumping we are jumping in yeah i mean my mental health journey throughout my life has been really up and down and i've been in a really really tough place for the last 2 years about and some of that i think is related to deconstructing and religious stuff some of that's related to family stuff some of that's just related to general trauma like there's a lot of things that go into it i definitely don't want to say like well it's just all about god and my beliefs about god right because our life experiences come from all different areas but i think what i'm learning is that kind of like the quote at the beginning, Esther, like my mental health is very strongly connected to my physical health and my body, right? Like for those of you who have read The Body Keeps the Score, it's that whole idea of we are carrying, we carry trauma, we carry grief, we carry emotions in our body. And if we're not moving them through our body, we can do like all of the mental stuff and still not see any like progression or change. And I really realized how much I intellectualize like all of my issues like I could literally I could sit here and like talk about all the things that are wrong with me and all the things that I struggle with and all the things that I have struggled with at one point or another but internally like am I really feeling it 
so recently I've been doing some like somatic work with a somatic practitioner that I like really love and trust. And everything that we're doing is just surrounding that. Like if there's grief in your body, like where do you feel it? And how can we move that through your body? And what does that look like? And getting out of your head and into your body, which is hard for me because that feels really out of control. Oh, can I touch on that piece really quickly yeah, yeah, about go. the out yeah. of control thing? <laughs> so this conversation is just going to take a turn for whatever it takes. The out of control thing, like you said, when it comes into your body and it feels out of control, can you describe that a little bit? And why is that so upsetting for you hmm. for it to feel out of control? I have pretty f- like strong physical reactions. So for me, it feels like all of my like brain synopses are like firing at once. And a lot of times I'll feel it in my body too. Like my body feels like it has so much energy and needs to like move or go or like, and I don't even really know. It's like hard, sort of hard to describe. And that's what I would always describe as like, well, that's my anxiety. Like I can't sit still and I can't da 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 and like all of that kind of stuff. Right. And sort of switching the mindset to like, maybe that's just energy that needs to go somewhere. Mm. What does that look like for me? I'm still kind of exploring that, like dancing to music and going for walks and stuff. I'm still, still trying to like explore that. But this idea of like moving things through your body without understanding them logically, I'm like, that is so weird. Like, I want to know why I feel this way. Tell me why I feel this way. (laughs) My grandma passed away a few years ago. And I, for many reasons, have never really faced that. Like it is shoved way down because there's other things that are going on and I'm in survival mode. And so we kind of like shoved that down and I want to like think through why I miss her. Like I want to work through the grief that way. And that's not what my body needs and that's not how my body's going to do it. And so that switch has been really difficult for me. But I think that in a lot of ways, you know, because of like my fundamentalist, more fundamentalist evangelical upbringing, I was never given permission or told how important it was to connect with my body. So while religion might not be responsible for all of my trauma and all of my pain and, you know, life is traumatic just as it is, there were some like basic building blocks of like being a human being that I didn't get because religion was, you know, was telling me like, reject your body, right? Your body is evil. Don't feel, don't feel, don't feel, don't feel. Intellectualize sort of everything to make sure you're doing the right things and you're saying the right prayers. And so I think that my religion was really like, the nail in the coffin for somebody who was already empathetic, very, very sensitive and had anxiety. Like, I think that just like really put me over the edge. And so that's where I think like religion has come into play with some of the work that I'm doing on myself. I think that I, in a lot of ways, never just was never really taught like how to be a human. It was more just like, let's like put humanity aside and just like everybody tried to be Something that we're not. Godly. Let's just all fake it. It can only be godly. Yeah, godly, I guess. Like, let's just all fake it. But then I think, too, like, the more that I, over the years, have really started to look into my religion for myself and read the Bible in my own way, right? Like, I'm like, wait a second. Like, Jesus was <laughs> none of these things, right? Jesus is, like, hiding in the hills because he needs time away from people. Right. Like self-care and knowing yourself and setting back, like all of those things, like Jesus was doing that. And so the messaging was just really, it was really crazy and really unclear. But coming back into your body, I do feel like it's important to say this, like coming back into your body is possibly the scariest thing that I've ever had to do to the point of 
feeling like I can't make it or I'm not going to make it or I can't live through this or like, I mean, like really and truly has been the hardest thing that I've ever had to do because there's just, there's just so much, there's so much fear there and there's so much uncomfortability with just like being me and being able to accept my own humanity, which unfortunately for me means like mental health stuff that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. That's not going to be this hard for the rest of my life necessarily. Right. You know, I have pockets of great joy and like where I'm doing really well, but this is a part of my journey. I need to learn how to respond to the world around me as me, not as somebody else who doesn't have mental health issues, but as me who has OCD and anxiety and panic disorder. And that affects the way that I live. So it's like almost have to like, you have to like work with yourself. Yeah. I hear you on the whole intellectualizing piece, because I think that that root of what I grew up with, almost those foundational quote unquote truths were that the flesh is bad. The most important thing is to be spiritual beings. This body's going to die. It's trash. And we're going to go live forever in a happy place in our spirit, embracing the body and, and reminding the body that it's part of us and our lives play out in our bodies has, is huge. Yeah. And that disconnect, you're right, all of our traumas. I mean, I grew up in war, nothing to do with like spiritual trauma, right? That was just how it was. And then there were other things like rejection of peers and breakups and, you know, struggles with my own tendencies towards control and fear. Mm-hmm. Those all play in, but that underlying disconnect from the body that was taught to me, I feel like is at the root of wanting to come back to it because, and I love the body for this. I'm so proud of our bodies because our bodies that keep the score come out and say like, nope, this isn't working. And we have panic attacks or like for me, my third and fourth toe goes fuzzy. It's the weirdest thing, but the space between my third and fourth toe goes fuzzy. And that's the reminder to me that things are kind of out of whack again. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I doing? How am I disconnecting from the body? How am I disconnecting from myself? That that toe is like, pay attention. It's like, we're not listening to our body. And so our body's like, okay, well, we got to pull out the big gun. I have started like looking at the pattern. And usually there's something that I've done within a few days of having a panic attack that were like completely against what my nervous system was telling me mm. or like completely against what my body is telling me. And sometimes there are things that I have to do, right? Like my son's birthday party, like we have to do that. It was overwhelming for me, you know? So sometimes it's things that like I push through and I have to do and I know it's going to cost me. Right. But sometimes it's little things like saying yes to something that like, I really shouldn't have said yes with. Right. And it might seem like a really small thing, but my body is saying like, please do not do that. We are going to have to respond drastically if you do. And then I wonder why a day later, I can't breathe for an hour. Yeah. Our bodies are trying to help us, but right. sometimes it doesn't always feel like they do. Right. Well, what about you, Esther? Like, where are you right now? Where have you come from in your mental health journey And what internal battle are you fighting every day still? Yeah, like I think I, just because of my age and how long I've worked and how horrible it was for me in my 30s, I'm in a much better place with it. Like I was saying, I get the toe, the third and fourth toe tingling thing instead of the full blown, I can't walk into a grocery store or leave my bed, which was where I was. There was one particular summer that I think I've shared on my episode at the beginning of our our podcast about all of that. Um, so it's better, but tackling it from all sides for me, and especially embracing the idea that the body is good. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's been a huge thing that the body needs to be taken care of. My body, even calling her a her. I, I keep, even I'm catching myself in this podcast saying it, it, instead of saying mm-hmm. she, mm-hmm. which I'm trying to even flip that script. Like it's not an it, it's a she, she's part of me. She needs to be welcomed and cared for. And I just think like, she's not about making everybody else happy. Like I think I lived under that for so long. And that was from working myself to death to please everyone else. And I do think that came out of my Christian upbringing of like, work yourself to death on the altar, sacrifice yourself, deny yourself, do everything for everybody else. You're responsible for everyone else's happiness salvation, especially, and whatever you do, you know, could have eternal consequences. So just kill yourself, Mm -hmm. absolutely kill yourself. And so I think like that tendency, that battle still does play out with me where I'm working myself still, I struggle with workaholism, but I think that comes from the idea of that I'm responsible for the whole world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, their yeah. their hope, their joy, their salvation. I'm responsible for my kids' happiness. Everything. I'm responsible for everything. And so I do have that constant inability to rest. And so, of course, it's going to come out when you're going and you're on an adrenaline high all the time. The inability to rest. You just can't like suddenly be like, I'm going to turn that off. I'm just going to sit down. So that's a constant battle I have with me. I mean, I take a literal Sabbath every week, like, and I have to like for 24 hours because otherwise I'm like an alcoholic. I'm literally working myself to death. So that's kind of like the underarching battle that I still continually struggle with. And I love, like I said, I love when my body's like, hello, hey, just am paying attention to her and not dismissing her. Sometimes though, I still dismiss and be like, quiet down over there. Or I just like, I'm like, leave me alone. I'm in the middle of doing something. But sometimes and it happened to me the other day, I was really upset about something. I had been in a situation that I was really uncomfortable in. And I just said, you know what, my body needs to move. And it's moved loud and long. And I went for like an hour and 45 minute walk, mm. like a fast. It was a long, long walk. Thankfully, it was a nice enough day warm enough day that I was able to do that. And I just was like, I can't, Mm -hmm. she needs to move. She needs to leave the situation and she needs to move. And I had a lot of clarity during that time, just white space. I didn't listen to anything, which is also hard. I want to, I'm on information overload. Like I want to avoid all of that hard stuff and what was going on, but I did. So some days I do it well, And other days I don't. So, and that's the good news. And I think we talk about this on this podcast all the time. We're human. Right. Healing is not linear. Right. Like some days I crush it as a mom, as a human being, like in other days it is like, it is not good. (laughs) And that's sort of part of it. And that can be really hard to accept too. But Esther, I'm wondering if you can go back, can you talk like just briefly about that summer, because I think for me in my healing journey, hearing you talk about that summer and then knowing you now has given me so much hope about my journey of knowing like I can be at rock bottom and that's not where I'm going to (laughs) stay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think that that is the beauty of years of my relationship. And I thought the other day, oh my gosh, I just know things because I'm older. It's kind of a, (laughs) and you can't have, it's just that thing of like, you can't have experiences until you have experiences. So it's nobody's fault because they're 
younger or whatever. And I'm like, wow, all right. That's the good news for us is that we do have both of us here talking about it. And that summer, I had four kids, four to 11, which I think is like where you are, Liz, without the two extra kids. But you have other lots of other things going on in your life, like a podcast, which I didn't have at the time. You have other kinds of children in your life. But I did have four kids. And I'd always been like, I'm so independent. I don't, it doesn't matter that I grew up in war. It doesn't matter that my parents, quote unquote, abandoned me for God. Who cares? It made me who I am today. I'm great. Until my left leg collapsed one morning, talk about the body. And I fell and everybody thought I had a brain tumor. And it was just absolutely an adrenaline overload for me. I was addicted to adrenaline to avoid all of the stuff that I really shouldn't have been avoiding and all that trauma. And adrenaline is a beautiful thing when you're in the middle of trauma, like somebody's attacking you Mm -hmm. and you need the adrenaline surge to fight back. But when you don't deal with long lasting trauma and you use adrenaline and the busyness of life to avoid, it does keep it at bay until like you said, your body shuts down. And that summer, my kids call it the best summer of their lives (laughs) because I was like the controlling mom, like, Hey, we're doing summer transition work before you have screen time and we'll go outside for an hour and all that young mom stuff that everybody wants to do. We're going to make it the best summer of our lives and make sure we're doing work and play and not losing what we learned last year. And guess what? It was July. I fell apart. The rest of the summer, I hardly could get out of bed. I sat in my closet and cried. I didn't know what was going on. I remember my husband leaving to take the kids to the pool. And I was like crumpled in a ball sitting on his lap saying, don't leave me, don't leave me. And I'm like, who is this person? Hmm. It just was like another extreme for me. And it was like, I feel like that other side, that shadow side of me that was never welcome came roaring in and said, I'm part of you too. This vulnerable, tender, very wounded you Hmm. is here and she needs to be heard. And it's not fun. It was awful. Absolutely horrible, horrific. I had depersonalization, which you and I've talked about where you're not even connected to yourself. And I would wake up every morning thinking like, is this the day where I'm going to actually be back in my own body? Talk about the body being super important. Like when you're disconnected from it in it, it's such a weird way. It was, I, I can't describe it. Those of you who are listening, maybe you're like, oh my gosh, she's saying something that I'm going through. DM me because I can talk about it with you and we can see where we can get maybe some understanding and some help for you because it sucked. Talk about the body saying stop. It stopped for four or five months. Just stopped. Done. Mm-hmm. Over. Nothing being accomplished. But the joke side of it is my kids got to be on screens. I wasn't telling them what to do. My youngest was four. She was like climbing up and getting herself breakfast. They didn't have to do anything. And it was great for them because the controlling crazy mom addicted to adrenaline Hmm. was not hounding them. So I do call it a terrible gift. C.S. Lewis calls these things a terrible gift because they got to see their mom in a very vulnerable place. Hmm. And my vulnerability kind of provided some freedom for them. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and and I changed. It was a radically different mother that came out of that. Talk about the beginning of my deconstruction journey. I mean, it started with going to counseling, getting on meds, admitting that I was wounded and needed help, 
all that stuff that I was told that was not okay and not okay to do or explore. And then I just began to explore my own fear and where it all stemmed from. Hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And it, it did, it did harken back to, <laughs> for me, a lot of it harkened back to the general messaging that was given to me that God was someone to be feared mm. and that I was afraid of going to hell and kids going to hell and all that crazy, crazy fear. It just constant, constant, constant fear. Yeah. Instead of being held in that war situation, I was, it was like, right. you're fine. We're doing this for the right. kingdom. I mean, <laughs> yes. Instead of being held and supported in the trauma Right. You were getting, quote, biblical response, right? Which isn't really what we need emotionally or our nervous system needs when we're in a trauma state. The church isn't doing a great job of helping build those tools, right? It's just like, oh, pray about it, devotions. We're not actually building tools to live a life of like, I don't even know what the word is, but to be able to be in touch with our emotions and our experiences and our body and our feelings, like there isn't that. And it's so spiritualized away. It's like the spiritual warfare out there, all those things that you're like, and how scary is that to think there's like demons inside of you or that, you know, like outside, right? Inside, outside, inside, outside. I mean, that's what I felt like I heard about with mental health struggles, that it's like a demon you're battling. And I was just like, what the? Like, that's really scary and not helpful no. at all. We'll be right back to the rest of today's podcast episode. But first, we want to give a shout out to some of our amazing and faithful Patreon supporters, Carol Tellman, Angie French, and Frankie Brown. For just $3 a month, you can help us keep the lights on and at the same time be part of our safe and private Facebook community, where you won't feel so alone in this changing faith and parenting journey. We hope to see you there. Now, back to the episode. Yesterday even, Liz, and now as this airs, it's going to be a couple weeks ago. For those of you who want to go on social media and read all of this, but even last night, we asked the question on our Facebook and Instagram pages, like, what were you taught about eternal conscious torment, which I think is the scariest, most fearful thing of all that's put into children. And I had that in spades. And just to watch my own continuing trauma response, I mean, I'll read some of the answers. So this is what we asked. We said, what personal experience do you have with the doctrine of eternal conscious torment? And of course, everyone loves to talk about this. And so the responses were a lot. And I went to respond to them today and I found all myself being like so freaked out about this hole and so re-traumatized. So here's some of them. Hell was the most foundational, most important doctrine of them all. Everything relied on fear. I remember being terrified for others by the heavens, gates, hells, flames drama in the 90s. And that fueled my drive for evangelism and missions as a teen. Over time, I just accepted it as a grim reality. I think we do that a lot with trauma. Of course, hell is real, they say. Of course, those who reject God will go there, they said. I never stop to consider anything about it beyond the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And then here was another one, which just, I was so steeped in fear and eternal conscious torment that I would have a recurring nightmare of a hand coming up from under my bed and pulling me down to hell. 
I grew up so afraid of going to hell, I developed a compulsion. I prayed that same prayer every night. And if I didn't, I couldn't fall asleep. I did that even into my 30s. Like where you are, Liz. That one's really common. Like really, really, really common. Like I did that. Right. And I just think about like, we think about all this religious trauma, our general trauma that lives inside of our bodies and the things we do to just try to combat it and fight it. And like, even this morning, even me reading that to you now, what is it? What is that? What happens inside of you when you hear that stuff? I really just like, I cringed as a little kid to hear some of those things. I can't imagine having some of those conversations like with my kids, how scared they would be of the entire world if I was giving them that information, which I'm not. And so that kind of allows me to go back to when I was younger because I'm really hard on myself and I gaslight myself a lot, you know, like, oh, well, you sh- that wasn't that bad. Like you were eight, you should have known better. You should have, you know, whatever, like gaslight myself all the time. But it really helps me to be able to go back and say like, wait a second, like, I wouldn't do that to, like, my six-year-old. Right. She would have, like, horrific nightmares, and she would she would be constantly striving, and she, you know, all of these things. And so, like, it also wasn't okay for me to have experienced that, right? Like, yes. and to be able to kind of at least grab a hold of, like, some self-compassion. Really, it's easy to kind of, like, look at things that have, like, happened and think, like, it wasn't as bad as, like, somebody else who was, like, had this specific experience or this specific experience. But the truth of the matter is, like, if it's been harmful to you, it matters. Right. And that's another, thing piece of the healing journey that's been really tricky for me is, you know, I want to have the answers and I want there to be, like, a logical explanation for everything. And I'm going to Google this to figure out exactly why that specific fear affects me now. And like, really, the truth of the matter is, again, it goes back to like just self-awareness and like knowing yourself. If that affects you in some way, then it does. You don't need to know why. You just need to honor it. And that can be like a really, really hard piece of the healing process to be able to just like honor your body's truth, even when it seems like it shouldn't be a big deal. Not that I'm saying the hell thing shouldn't be a big deal, because I feel like that's an obvious big one. But there's other ones, I think, that come up for us at times yeah, there's all kinds of insidious, huge things like that. That was that was why I think like the hell piece and you and I love, like, we are so anti-hell, anti-having that be any kind of conversation with, especially with children and uh, just the fear that goes along with that. And it's almost absolute child abuse, I feel like. And I think about like my own self, I'm honoring, I'm saying those words back to you. Mm-hmm. This was abuse to you. Yeah. And it didn't just come. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm just saying the general system out there of saying, hey, you better watch out. We're going into the Christmas season, you know, in a few couple of weeks, it'll be Christmas. And I think, oh, my gosh, that you better watch out. God, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. I mean, Santa Claus, God, all those things like just behave or you're in very big trouble. And yeah, Santa, you you don't get good gifts at Christmas, but if it's God, number one, you're separated from him and you might go to like this big lake of fire forever and ever and ever and burn and be tortured and your family. That's interesting. That like tie between Santa and God, because my daughter has been really preoccupied with this idea of like the other day, I forget what she did. 
she called me a name, I think, which has been a thing that's been happening recently, which is really fun. Not at all. Um, but she called me a name and then I, you know, I responded, I don't know, somehow it's not very kind. Please don't, you know, I don't know what I did. And then she was like, oh my gosh, Santa's not going to give me presents. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like I do not want my kid thinking this right at all. Like I don't want her to think that she has to be this specific. She has to fit in this perfect box. She has to be worth it, whatever. And so we're having this whole conversation about how I'm like, that's not how it works, honey. Like Santa has a lot of grace. We're human beings. Like we make mistakes. But now you're talking about that, Esther. And I was just thinking like the way that those two tie together, especially thinking about that around Christmas time, it's shaming, it's fear-based parenting, and it's, it's, it's really harmful. It's really, and yeah. it's terrifying for a kid. I had a friend actually who confessed her sins to Santa all year because she didn't grow up like in any kind of religion. So she, that was like her quote unquote God out there who was paying attention all the time. And so she would say she was sorry to Santa every day, whenever she did something wrong. And I think it's not Santa. I mean, Elf on the Shelf is the same way, right? Trying to get your kids to behave around the holidays, whatever. But it's just that uncoupling of, like you said, that you're, you're trying to say to Lila, that's not what Santa's like. And I think that's the messaging that I want to say to myself yeah. all the time, to my little fearful self that's eight, nine, 10, 14, to my grandson now, or to your kids when I'm with them, or to any kids. That's not really what God is like. Right, right. God where's the grace? Gracious. Where's the love? Yeah, where's like the accepting of humanity? Where's like, right. you know, all of that stuff? I think a couple of weeks ago, our podcast was with the Reverend Mamas and their book. And if you didn't listen to that podcast, go back and listen to it and get their book because their book has healed my soul where they were like, is God there when I'm good and there when I'm bad is a question. Mm-hmm. And they don't even address the fact that you're bad. They say, oh, God is there when you make a mistake because you're human. Right like all the rest. So for me, that the whole trauma thing and coming in, we have amygdalas, we have fight or flight responses, we have a part of our brain, we're wired to fight against things that are going to harm us. Mm -hmm. And so when we don't have what we need to fight those things, they are going to live in our body, and they're going to be awakened. And that's good news, and very difficult news. Yeah. Like from what you're going through even and have gone through in the course of your life and are maybe in the middle of right now, I always say, I never want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I had not mm. gone through it. But ugh, ugh, I wish everyone could not have to go through it. Like I hate when people are suffering. Like that's hell to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, there's enough hell on earth, really and truly. There is. There's enough hell on earth that we're navigating for sure. Right. What have you found that helps you the most? I know you talked about your somatic stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe a question is all this work you're doing, and I'm going to say this out loud to everybody. There is no one I know in this whole world that has worked harder to get healing than Liz. There's no one. And you're going to hear my voice shake, like the amount of work that she does every single day. Like when we're on this podcast, we're not just making this stuff up. We're like doing it in real life. And Liz is doing it in real life time. So maybe I should just ask you this, Liz, because maybe there are some people out there who are right where you are. What are you hoping might help you? Hmm. That's a good question. I appreciate you saying that, Esther, because 
yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, my whole life has kind of become healing and that's maybe good, maybe not good, right? Like maybe there needs to be a better balance. And I think I'm working on that. There's some really hard, really painful things in my past and in my life that are just kind of blocking my ability to experience the world the way that I want to. And so I've been working really hard to try and find some healing from that. And I think for me, I think my hope and I'm in and out of rock bottom these days. And so I think my hope is just to experience like the day to day without frantic anxiety. Like that for me would be a win. I think there's, there's probably bigger things that like I aspire to, you know what I mean? Like to have happen with my mental health and my nervous system. But right now I'm like, wow, if I could just get through the day without feeling frantic anxiety, like for just 24 hours or without feeling like waiting for that panic attack, you know, waiting for that next panic attack, like that would be the most beautiful thing for me. I've been in therapy for many, 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 many years, but because I'm such an intellectual person and because I'm like, I'm so much of a figure it out kind of person and I want to have all the answers and like, that's how I sort of respond to the world. I think that therapy has not always served me because I can talk about what's going on with myself till I'm blue in the face. And even right now, like the amount of pain that I've sort of been in for the past two years, like I should just be like bawling my eyes out right now. But like that connection is really tricky for me. I'm not a big crier. I wish I could, but I can't kind of make that connection. And so that's where somatic therapy and like somatic practice has become sort of like my newest like avenue that I'm kind of working with because I was sensing my being saying like, and I'm still doing therapy. I'm just doing talk therapy less. Yeah. You know, like I'm just kind of like doing talk therapy less and putting a lot of my energy into just trying to be in my body and trying to listen to what my body is saying and not having to like figure it out. And it feels like a full-time job and I have two little kids, right? And some days I can like barely get my oldest to kindergarten because it just feels so stressful to like get everyone in the car. And when you're in this place of feeling bogged down by the pain and the trauma and all of that, like the day-to-day tasks can feel so hard and it can feel like you're never going to get out of it. Not everybody has that same experience with trauma, but I know a lot of us do. And so I think it's like important to talk about that place where we like shut, shut down and where we can't really go any farther for a little while because, and I think maybe that's the pain resurfacing right in its own way in our body saying like, nope, sorry, you've put this aside for long enough. Like you need to feel it, but it's just, it's really hard and really excruciating and easy to feel like you're alone or you're crazy. Well, I was hearing you say a couple things that I wanted to just touch on too. And the first was just the sadness that you have, that you're not able to experience the fullness of what it means to be human joy, beauty, all that stuff is just so tempered because the other side. And the one thing I would say, having come out the other side is I don't not have grief and pain and all that. That's all still very much there. And like I said, when I read those hell questions this morning, something inside of me awakened, but I'm able to experience what it means to be fully human. And we all deserve that. That's why we're here. We are allowed to experience the fullness of humanity. That includes all of it. Celebration, Mm -hmm. suffering, Mm -hmm. pain, joy, 
goodness, beauty, heartache. Like that's, that's what we really want. And for you to say, what am I hoping for? I'm like, you're hoping for a day where you can do that. Right. Like you want to be able to get through a day where you're like, oh my gosh, look at Lila on the stage. And my heart is bursting. And it's not like this big cloud of like trauma hanging over me. And I think a lot of my Christian upbringing too was you heal for everyone else's sake. Hmm. And I don't swear and I'm not going to swear, but I would at least say F that right? uh, because we heal for our own sake. Right. We're allowed to heal for our own sake, for us to be able to experience the fullness of what it means to be human. The piece about it too is we think of trauma as like a, you know, sort of like a feeling, right? Like it's sadness or it's grief and it can be those things. It absolutely can be those things. But I think what I'm dealing with here right now right. for myself is a complete, there's been a complete wounding of the nervous system. Yep. So my nervous system is not functioning. It's over-functioning. Yeah. So everything sort of feels like an emergency. Everything feels yeah. high stress, like a lot of like extra physical symptoms, like inflammation in my body, IBS stuff. The nervous system has been wrecked. Yeah. And so- the trauma healing for me now is healing the nervous system that's been holding the trauma yeah. for so long. Yeah. And that's like almost its own thing, right? You have sort of like this piece that's more of like sort of the accessing memories and maybe, you know, EMDR therapy and those types of things. And then we have this other piece where it's like we actually have to heal our body because there is a physiological Yes wounding that has happened. And that's why you see so many people who've endured trauma with autoimmune diseases and, you know, MS and Crohn's and all of those things because our body is holding this pain. Yes. And you get to a point where your body says, okay, well, we actually can't hold this anymore. So we are very, very sick. Mm-hmm. And you go to a million doctors, right? And you can't figure out what's wrong with you and da 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 and da 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 you know, and it's, it's because your nervous system needs to be healed. And it's like that emotional piece with the physical piece. I always say to like my husband, like, I wish it was just one or the other, but it feels like they're so intertwined. I'm either sick to my stomach all day or I'm having a panic attack and can't walk out my front door. Like, you know, it feels like they just kind of take turns. Again, what I was saying, the ability for you to experience just what it means to be human without debilitating fear, that's not okay for anybody. And it's good to speak it out. And the other thing, just to go back to your therapy piece too, is I have a friend who's a talk therapist, 10, 15 years, he's been a talk therapist. And he said to me recently, talk therapy is good for a time. And it's good for some people. But he is like, we're starting to learn more and know more and understand more about all of this. And so we need to move into these things. So he's gotten some EMDR training because he has a lot of people with religious trauma coming to him now. And he's like, talk therapy isn't quite cutting it anymore for these particular people. Mm, yeah. And so I need to be able to engage with all kinds of the new stuff we're learning, like somatic therapy. We had Molly uh, LaCroix on our podcast, internal family systems therapy. There's EMDR. There's all these things we're learning. And we talk about here on the podcast, our faith is ever evolving. And so is, so is the rest of our knowledge. And we want to lean into those curious spaces. And if something isn't really working for you anymore, it's okay. You're allowed to say, I put talk therapy on the back burner. Or you're allowed to say, oh my gosh, I yeah. tried this other stuff and I need talk therapy. 
there's so many things that people say like, oh, well, this works really well for me. Or like, this works well for most people. Right. And then I try doing it (laughs) and I have like the complete opposite reaction. Right. Like, again, it's about like trusting your body, like what works for you, what feels good for you. I always worry about hurting a therapist's feelings if I cancel an appointment or if I like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's all coming back to yourself and coming back to your body and knowing your. I mean, really, that's like what it comes back to. And that's really hard. And there's no way we can't say that the whole deny yourself. I mean, yeah. Forever and always. Yeah. Harmful, harmful, harmful. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So, so harmful. I I was thinking too about this whole, like for me, the deconstruction thing literally kind of saved my life. Mm -hmm. Just the idea that I was allowed to ask questions. The idea that I was allowed to say like, hey, I heard this all my life about Or, you know what, you just told me to go get Reiki and no, I don't know if I want to do that. Whatever it is, the ability to like be on our own journey Hmm. and the deconstructing thing, like kind of like even me being able to ask questions about my faith has opened up me asking questions about it all. (laughs) Like, oh. Yeah, it's like the freedom. Right. Like, do you feel like that's what you've learned from all your years of working to heal your body? And your soul like has that has been that like that that need to have the freedom to have your own experience or is there something else more that you feel like has been I guess the core to me like I said the deconstruction thing and I think for me it's this idea of being able to hold space for everybody else and their stories even in the Bible like I hold space for David's experience and Paul's experience I can hold space for all of that But that doesn't mean it's my experience. That doesn't mean I can't ask questions about it or push back. And we had Caitlin Curtis on the podcast and I love her like living resistance. And I think that's what I is at the core for me is like, I'm just sort of standing. I used to stand up on the inside and sit down on the outside. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm still standing up on the inside and I'm allowed to stand up. But now I'm kind of standing up on the outside too. And saying, nah, yeah, I appreciate and can hold space for you over here and all of what you're doing, but that feels icky to me inside. That's not really going to work. And that, again, it for me is like that religious thing of like, it's, and we say this a little bit on the podcast, your story is descriptive for you. And I love that. I want to hear your story. Even what we're doing today, we're telling our story, but we're not saying go get somatic therapy. This is a must have the religion of Liz and Esther now. We think we have the answer. So do this, this, and this. It's like stories are so powerful, but we're allowed to push against that and resist like that living resistance, I guess. Like, and I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So speaking things out loud, changing how I operate. Like we have a group text with our fame, the famous book club that this was born out of. And we're like, what you doing today to resist? You know, like, what are you, how are you saying I'm not doing this this week or during this Christmas season or whatever? So yeah, mm-hmm. that little bit of resistance inner and now outer has been kind of fun. Yeah. 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 Like, so when we read that book, right, Living Resistance, and when we had Caitlin on the podcast and we were talking about that, and we're going into Christmas, we started to allude to the whole Santa thing. And it's absolutely going to be mayhem. I think there's three weeks left. What ways are you kind of doing that? Because you've been a big helper to me in the resistance front. 
like you had us read the book. We had Caitlin come on the podcast and you've kind of been a big, like Esther, it's okay to resist. You know, this is a good word. So what ways do you, and then even also moving into like January and February, because this is the end of our season and we're not coming back until the end of February, early March. So for you, like, what are you doing to sort of resist and why, why does it matter so much to you, Liz, this whole resistance thing? I love resisting. <laughs> I've always sort of loved resisting. I think my entire life, like resisting sort of like the norm or resisting, like, you know, not doing things just because everyone else does them. I remember like as a kid, I would resist like certain trends because I didn't want to do them because everybody else did them. You know, I'm a little bit less like that in terms of like fashion and stuff now, because I kind of think that trends can be fun. But I also think that there's a lot of like ways of living culturally that are, can be really harmful. And I started, I think really being interested in this idea of resistance when I realized that if I didn't start resisting some things, it was going to kill me. And that was maybe like a year and a half ago. And some of those things were happening like in our home, right? Like how much responsibility I was taking over the household and the food, the cooking and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And how I started sort of like resisting that kind of like idea of, you know, get the cockpit out and make sure that you have something for dinner like every night. And now just being like, hey, we're having waffles or we're having eggs or, you know, Eric on the way home, you're picking up pizza. I'm not doing this, you know, kind of thing. And just sort of like resisting some of those things that felt normal. And thankfully, like I have a partner that's been really supportive of that. And that's been really helpful because it is hard. It is very hard to sort of like resist some of those norms. And now going into the holiday season, we have a really complicated holiday season with right now with family stuff. And it's, it's, I know I'm gearing, I know it's going to be a hard at this point, like right now we're six weeks out when this airs will be what, like three weeks out, you know, but like, I know it's going to be a hard holiday season. And so I have set some like really firm boundaries. We are not traveling anywhere. And, you know, we're not buying gifts for everyone. I'm not just spending my entire holiday season getting gifts and wrapping gifts and making sure everyone feels loved and comforted and da 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 da. While meanwhile, I am like stressed out of my mind and not surviving because they're meeting everyone's needs. And that's what gets so exhausting about Christmas. And so resisting some of like those things, you know, I love to decorate for Christmas. Like, I think that having things decorated for Christmas is really fun, but I didn't want it to take up my entire holiday season stress bucket, I guess. And so I decorated like the other day, I felt like I wanted to. And so I just did it and now it's done. And I'm just not even gonna worry about it. And I'm almost done Christmas shopping because I'm just gonna do it and I'm not gonna worry about it. Just some of those little things like do what you wanna do, right? But don't do what you don't wanna do. Like don't do something because you, you feel like you have to or because you feel like, oh, Christmas is time for family. So I need to disrupt my nervous system by going on a three hour trip with my kids and sleeping over. You know, it's, it's like what it's like, don't do the things that are actually just going to like destroy you. Like, can we actually believe, and this is hard for me, but can we actually believe that our mental health and our overall health is so important that it's worth disappointing other people for? Yes. Yeah. So resistance is, is huge. I think I'm in a season where resistance is necessary for my survival. And so mm-hmm. it's given me sort of like this kickoff to be resistant Yeah. because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this because if I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to make it through this. Right. And so, um, yeah, taking it day by day, but really trying to resist. And I think even to like, resisting 
what I think it means to be like a good mom or a good person. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think sometimes when we think of resistance, we think that it's always going to look like growing veggies in your backyard and no screen time and long, long walks with your kids. And some of those things are great, right? But like sometimes from what resistance looks like for me, it's like resisting my own need to be a perfect mom and just like putting my kids on the iPad so I can read my book for an hour. Right. It's not always clear and cut and dry. It's like, what does resistance look like for you? Yeah. And how can you use, use that resistance for like appropriate self-care? Yeah, it's so funny that you're saying that. And I love that you just said, what does it look like for you? Because that's very, very powerful. That's very, very powerful. Again, it's not like, oh, everybody else is doing X, Y, and Z. And I know I read Writing Sweetgrass this year and feel so connected to the whole consumeristic culture and like understanding it. I never have kind of seen this before. So for us, it is like about not buying into that or not just getting 7,000 tchotchke little stupid things because I'm, I don't know, keeping the economy alive or whatever I've been told all my life. And I'm like, oh, what about the creatives? Like for me resisting right now, and you and I are creatives. I'm like, oh, who, who is a creative person that I can support during this time? Hmm. Look what they did. Is it going to be like the greatest thing in the whole world? No. Is it going to be a laptop? No but I'm supporting somebody. And so like, it's such a different way of you're resisting differently than I'm resisting. And I think one of the best things, the way that both of us are resisting is, and we made this boundary from the very beginning is we're not doing anything for the podcast in December. It's like out, Mm -hmm. we take three months off. We do three months on, we do three months off. Mm -hmm. And that's against everything out there that anybody would tell you that you have to be to have a successful podcast. Yeah. You can't take a week off. You can't take time off, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, this is what we're doing. That speaks again to my former workaholic self. This is what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to play out. And when we had, I guess it was Caitlin on again, she talked about the whole wintering thing and the idea of wintering. And I'm going to buy the book called Wintering by Catherine May. It's like at the top of my list to read between Christmas and New Year's, because as I go into January and February, like that new year, new you. I'm like, you know what? No, mm. cozy, quiet. I'm only going to do what I have to do. I'm going to winter. I'm going to actually do what the rest of nature is doing as much as I possibly can. Because we all really need that rest. And I think it's important to note too, when you're in a trauma response, resting can be so hard. Hard. Like as we talk about this, I'm like, oh my gosh, it sounds so nice. Just like sit in front of the fire and like read and whatever. And some days... I can get my body to do that. And some days I can't like some days that feels like the most threatening thing possible. And so again, this season of like wintering for me is going to be figuring out like, what do I need to regulate? Do I need to sit on the couch with a book? Do I need to have like some sort of a dance party, like a Taylor Swift dance party where I get my energy out? Do I need to take a cold shower to revive my nervous system? Do I need to take a walk? Do I need to just sit outside in the cold? Like it's going to be definitely an exploratory season, I think, of what does it really look like for me? That's so fun. I love that. I don't know. So what would be like your hope for our podcast listeners? Because we're going to be like signing off for a few months. I mean, we'll still be on social media. And thankfully, we hired a social media person to take care of a lot of that so that we can rest. But what's your hope 
for our podcast listeners in the next few months until we come back again. I think I would hope that they would adopt their own version of like, resistance and wintering. I think we have this opportunity, right? We have this time. And I think it can be really, really hard to lean into it because the holidays tell us to go, 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 right? And to meet everyone else's needs. But, you know, if, if this is the season where you've gone to, you know, this specific family member's house every single year, right? And it's hard every year. And this year you really have just wanted to say no, you know, maybe this is the year that you say, you know what? We're staying home this year. We'd love to FaceTime you on that day. So if there's a big relationship decision over the holidays that you've been wanting to make but haven't really felt like you can, Mm. I hope that this gives you some permission to be able to say, you know what, like this isn't working for us this year. Like we just need to be home or we just need, you know, whatever that looks like. And just give yourself grace, you know, to figure out what you need and how you can get what you need, right? Because we don't we don't necessarily always have the option of just like shutting off life. I always laugh because I feel like my doctor, like every time I go to my primary care doctor, she's always like, you need to get more sleep. You need, I'm just like, I have two kids that are climbing in my bed at 2 a.m. Like that's just not a thing for me right now. Like I hear you and I think you're right, but that's just not a thing. So how can we like take what we've been given or take what we have, right? And like create an environment that we can heal from and survive and and all of that. That's Glennon Doyle's true and beautiful life. You still have to deal with all your limitations, like two kids who climb into your bed, right? But you also know that your beautiful life would encompass rest. So how can those two things play out? That's hard. Yeah. And I always think like there's some limitations. Yeah. (laughs) My true life is got limitations and some, and some good things and some privileges, right? It has limitations and privileges. And my beautiful life also has limitations and privileges. So there you go. <laughs> wow. No, it's so true. What about Esther? What about you? Do you have something that that you are hoping for our podcast listeners in the next couple of months? Yeah. So I I hope you catch up on any episode you've missed. <laughs> this is a really good time to do that. They're so good. I mean, what I do a, a lot of the editing of the podcast and literally how many times do I text you, Liz? I'm like, oh my gosh. This guest is so good. I think I did it last night. I was like, oh my gosh, Liz, the good news is, the bad news is I'm really tired right now and I can't do one more thing. The good news is I'm done with our podcast and these people are amazing. (laughs) So I want people. People are so wise. Like I just, I'm always blown away at how like wise how wise people are. And we all have these really, you know, specific to ourselves journeys and the wisdom that we get from that and the niches that we are each in, right. Because of our own struggles and what we learn and how we grow. And there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of good stuff and a lot of like really comforting and also, you know, helpful stuff that our guests are talking about. Yeah. So good. So yeah, but mostly I think like you, I would say my hope for them is to find ways to rest and play and love yourself and your people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like even looking forward to do a little plug for season five, we have some crazy good guests coming up. I, I gotta get amazed by that. And my hope for the podcast in general, as people are catching up or as we're going into season five, and if you have people out there that you want us to have on the podcast, please DM us and say like, oh my gosh, can you please try to get this person? We're, we can't guarantee like, to get that person on the podcast, but we would love our listeners input on that. So please tell us um, because we always want to provide resources. We can't be the whole, all the resources. Liz and I can't 
be married to young, rewilding, taking people on pilgrimages to Europe, and we can't be sex therapists, and we can't, you know, be best-selling authors, and we can't have all the things. We can't write a good children's book right this minute. All that stuff. But we can bring you the experts. We can bring, we can bring you, you the, the people. people that can. We can yeah. be like, you know, eHarmony. You're on the one side, and we're trying to find the people that fit for you. <laughs> but oh, when you're walking that tricky tightrope of parenting and especially like Liz, for those of you who are in the middle of your own spiritual and trauma recovery and evolving faith, we definitely don't ever want you to feel like you're alone and that we could bring you guys good resources so that you can do all of that in a way that leads away from fear and anxiety and panic and trauma in a way that leads to healing and to life and to love. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for being gracious listeners to our stories. We try to be as vulnerable as possible with what we're going through. And you guys have made that a safe space for us. And so we're really appreciative. And we hope that everyone has a really, really good holiday season where you're just able to rest as much as you can and rejuvenate and just be kind to yourself in whatever stage of life you're at or whatever you know stage of grief you're at or mental health issues or anything that you're going through that you're able to just sort of like take a minute and just be kind to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening and supporting us. We we value you. We don't see you as one of whatever a million <laughs> people, but we we know that you're behind, you know, your headphones and you're a person who's real and who's doing, trying to live their most true and beautiful life. So thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe. Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Deconstructing Mamas. That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on our website, deconstructingmamas.com. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter when you get there. If you'd like to support the podcast, join our Patreon network for just $3 a month and have access to our private community with all kinds of extras. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts or just tell others about the show. Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.